Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where dramatic personal growth is possible, but only for the side characters. <laughs> well spoken, Marissa. Thank you. Thank you. I just <laughs> thought of that in, just now in the bathroom. <laughs> and Merry Christmas. If you celebrate, happy holidays, happy new year. I am here on hiatus, as you may know, but um, timing worked out perfectly to discuss a super edition book called... Well, it is called Special Christmas. Special Christmas. And uh, on in the rare possibility that you do not recognize the beautiful voice of my guest, it is superstar <laughs> guest from episode... Aww. Uh, eight, nine, I guess it was nine of Sweet Valley Diaries, none other than my own father, Don Flaxbart. Hello, everyone. (laughs) So as you might imagine, I am home with my father in Chicago for the holiday break, and I read Special Christmas on the plane from Los Angeles to Chicago in its entirety. Um, The special edition books are longer than the regular books by a good hundred pages, although I noticed that they... All the books have 17 chapters. Yeah, I, I you pointed that out to me. I thought that was interesting. If so, numerology must mean something, like yeah. sweet 17 or sweet 16. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, oh, 17 is the age the Wakefield twins never reach. That's, that's true. This one you might... Wonder whether they've reached the age of 13, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, but sometimes they seem more like they're 25. We'll get into it. So I uh, got off the plane, uh, got to my dad's place, and handed him this book and said something like, well, here's the opposite of a Christmas present. Um, Because I knew that I was sacking him with many hours over his Christmas vacation of uh, reading a book for uh, preteen girls, written in the 80s. So... It was done also on a plane, but that's another story. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. So thank you, Dad, for being with me. Now, um, one thing that uh, I think listeners might want to know, Dad, I don't know if you know this either, is that so so far in the podcast, whenever we are talking about one of the Sweet Valley books, it is a book that I have read before, at least once. Um, I've read through a, a lot of the regular series, but I have read very few of the super edition books. Um, that was true for the last super edition we did, which was called A Perfect Summer, similarly vague titling about a time of year. And uh, it is also true for Special Christmas. So what I was expecting with Special Christmas was guided largely by the cover of the book. Can we talk about the cover? Sure. Here's the book. I'm looking at the picture again now. Now, I posted a picture of this to Instagram while I was reading it, and I got some comments from some followers there. Uh, on Instagram, I'm at Sweet Valley Diaries, if you're not following already. Um, and people describe this as one of their favorite covers. And I can understand why. It's a very, it's almost, I don't know, Norman Rockwell-y. They're so happy. The twins, it's the two twins. Right. One's happy unwrapping the present. The other's ha- happy watching her do it, you know? So. Yeah. So I'm honestly not sure which twin is which in this picture, but two beautiful Wakefield twins, one of them is unwrapping a present. I was thinking that Liz was the one in the white sweater simply because the way it's cut. The way the sweater is cut is a conservative cut. Yeah. And yeah, and then the girl in the sort of pinkish red 
uh, collared shirt is she has her hair down. And I think Liz tends to be pictured with her hair kind of pulled to the side a lot more often. But what is it that Liz is opening? I have no idea. And when exactly in the book did this moment occur? No clue. Right. So then I'm standing at LAX getting ready to start this book and I crack open the cover and I read the teaser and I'm going to read it to you all now. This is um, something that we haven't talked about maybe ever on the show before, but the very first page of every Sweet Valley novel is a little bit of a, a pressy, uh, a, a short uh, recap of, not a recap's not the word, but it's an intro to what the story is going to be. And in this case, I think it's pulled directly from the pages of the book, but this is your, your trailer, essentially, for, for the book that you already have purchased from the store and are about to read. Unless you're at the store reading it, maybe that's the point. Anyway, usually I think the back cover would be for that, but without further ado. Special Christmas. Steve, it's going to be the best Christmas ever, Elizabeth declared. Whoa, Stephen said, shaking his head sadly as he looked at the twins. I just found something out that made my Christmas spirit dry up in a flash. What is it? The twins exchanged anxious glances. What would you say if I told you that the abominable snowman is coming to stay with us and there's nothing we can do about it? Elizabeth looked completely baffled. Steve, what are you talking about? Mr. Devlin, Stephen said, pronouncing the name as though it hurt to say it. Called from New York just after I got home. Go on, Jessica said. What did he say? He said, Stephen continued, that everything's all set. Suzanne will be arriving Sunday afternoon and she'll be staying here for two whole weeks. Suzanne Devlin, Elizabeth said, her face draining of color. But, Steve, that's impossible. (laughs) So, yes. Uh, If you did not listen to episode 11 of Sweet Valley Diaries uh, with my guests Will Stribling and Sinead Persaud. We talked about a book called Too Good to Be True, starring Suzanne Devlin. My dad, uh, Dad, you didn't listen to that episode. I did not Mm -hmm. listen to that episode, so Devlin and Miss Suzanne is news to me. (laughs) Well, luckily, uh, the entirety of, I think, like chapter two or three of this book explains everything about what happened with when Suzanne was in town. We probably don't have to go into it all. Listen to episode 11. But basically, the things that Suzanne did when she came for, to Sweet Valley to visit from New York and the things that happened to Jessica when she was in New York are things that maybe um, should preclude any return visits by Suzanne to the Wakefield family. And definitely left me feeling, as I started this book, that, oh no, like, Suzanne's back again to ruin Christmas, just like the twins felt. Is that what you thought? Uh, I thought... Mm, I think I thought, does this make any sense, is what I thought. <laughs> well, yeah, so so at the very beginning of the so book... So I was with the, with the twins and their... And yeah, we were, both, we were both with the twins. Um, clever, clever book, this is, in a way. Um, I don't have a ton of compliments for this particular book, but we'll get into that. But I will say that it cleverly had us thinking that Suzanne was, we were in for trouble. So the book starts, and the twins haven't found out yet about any of this. So the We, the reader, know because the book spoiled it for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, the twins are at high school, and... Th- um, they're really excited because it's the day before Christmas break. Now, there are some logistics here about how Christmas break is done in Sweet Valley that were really mind-boggling to me. Did you follow all of this, Dad? I did not follow all this. <laughs> well, so 
we learn first of all th- as the book starts that the twin that Elizabeth and friends are sitting in Mr. Collins' classroom. So this is going to be the final Collins, Collins Watch, Watch 2018. 2018. Of 2018. But uh, Mr. Collins um, is described thusly. Mr. Collins was one of the most popular teachers at Sweet Valley High. Some of the girls insisted he looked like a movie star, but that wasn't the reason why he won the Best Like Teacher Award year after year. Mr. Collins was an excellent sport. He knew when to be stern and when to relax. And that day, with a big Christmas party in the gym ready to start any minute, he knew enough not to expect anyone to concentrate on the crucible. <laughs> He didn't know enough not to design the crucible, however. (laughs) Of all things for Christmas season. (laughs) So there's this big Christmas party that happens at the end of school. Um, on the like right before Christmas break, and Elizabeth is in charge of secret Santas. So Sweet Valley High has this big, elaborate secret Santa thing that every student participates in. I I don't know if it's just the junior junior class or what, but this book doesn't get into it. It's a kind of a Save by the Bell thing where like only the characters that you know about or seem to be involved in the situation. But it seems like everybody gets a secret Santa. Elizabeth is in charge of naming the, the like the secret santa committee but you just draw names randomly from a hat she doesn't get a secret santa i don't right. think because she knows all the names uh-huh. and at this party everybody like comes to a table where elizabeth is sitting to draw a name and elizabeth finds out who everybody has and, and keeps a big chart then this was what really confused me people are expected to give secret santa presents to these kids they're, they're who they got during christmas break yeah and, and they're supposed to you know, it's keep giving them gifts. Like it's it's more like an, an extended Hanukkah kind of gift giving. Yeah, Hanukkah never mentioned in this book. Oh well, for how about the thing of having public school and having secret standards? That's a little bit out of this day and time. I mean, maybe I mean our time. I mean, well, if mm-hmm. if there are any non Christians in the world of Sweet Valley, they are not acknowledged at all in this particular book. But neither is Christianity really in any way. It's all about Santa and the presents. So yes. Um. So there is some discussion of the kinds of presents that people are getting from their secret Santas during the break. But the other weird thing is that they set up at the beginning of the book that there's this big, going to be this big reveal of everybody finds out who their secret Santa is at the end of the Christmas time. Like, I, I, I don't know if it's on Christmas Day or the it's Christmas the, Eve. It's, it's, it's Christmas dance. Eve. It's a dance. It's, it's a, a dance at Christmas Eve. School is not in session. And also it's at Bruce Patman's house. Yeah, so it's a private dance. <laughs> so this is... So, so I assume Bruce has to invite everybody? I don't know how this works. So. Yeah, and Bruce is a senior, I think. So it must be the whole school. Like, So Bruce Patman has invited the whole school to his house. And it really makes you wonder, like, how many students go to this school? Yes. It's confusing, but um, there was a funny moment. I could read a lot about uh, the the stuff that you get from your secret Santa. There's this whole plot line where Jessica is in love with the German exchange student um, Hans. Hans. And so she's sure that Hans has her, but Hans For no good reason, but she's just, nobody in town is suave enough to have her spend Hans's. They're the gifts she gets are very suave. Right. 
And of course, in the end, it turns out that Winston Egbert was her secret Santa, and Lila had Hans. Uh-huh. So Jessica's stuck having to go to a fancy dinner with Winston, while Lila gets Hans to cook her dinner at yeah. his house or her house or whatever. It's so romantic, but it's all Elizabeth knows all along that Hans is Jessica's secret Santa. So that's just sort of a background thread to the main the main storyline. But here's something a fun little detail of the kinds of secret Santa gifts people are giving. Um, to understand this passage, you need to know that Aaron Dow. Alice is now dating a girl named Patsy. Um, these books, the timing of the um, special edition books, were a little bit ahead of the main storyline in terms of what's serialized. So there's going to be, um, I guess I should say right now, if you're listening to this and it's really important to you that the next, the plots of the next few Sweet Valley High novels do not get spoiled for some reason. Just hit pause until like a few more episodes go by and then listen in. But re- these books were written 30 years ago. You'll be okay. Um, so anyway, back to the story. I got a five pound bag of red pistachio nuts today. Oh, that's the wrong voice. <coughs> I was doing a man voice. All of my voices kind of sound like man voices, though, since I'm still battling a really annoying congestion. But anyway. I got a five-pound bag of red pistachio nuts today, Patsy said, giggling. Aaron is going to get jealous if my secret Santa's this attentive all week. I got a coupon for a free back rub from mine, Aaron grinned. I can't wait to find out who it is. Oh, yeah. How creepy is that to get a back rub from somebody you don't know? Yeah. I I guess you can either go either way in your imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe we're supposed to think that, that Patsy is Aaron Dallas's secret Santa. I have no uh, no idea, but uh, this uh, just quite the thing to offer somebody a background of a secret Santa. I mean, I can see some I can see how somebody would think that's fun in high school to uh, tease somebody that way, but uh, I can't see how one would be excited about getting that from a stranger. <laughs> from it's a like stranger, who is it? Anonymous stranger offering <laughs> you a background. Yes. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Be- because your body image is also good when you're in high school. <laughs> well, if you're Aaron Dallas, uh, you're the captain of the football yeah. team. He's not the captain of the football yeah, team, yeah. but he's he's the captain of something. He's a sports guy, so he's <laughs> all cocky. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, I, I guess I have to say that this pretty much concludes the fun and games portion of this book because this is where things get really dramatic. I don't think we either of us has the time or energy to go through all the twists and turns, but basically the Wigfields get home and... We have a setup that the twins are very excited to have the best Christmas ever. And one of the things that Elizabeth is really excited about is, spoiler alert, I gotta talk better, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, Todd Wilkins is coming home from Vermont. Yes. That's right. Her old boyfriend, boyfriend, who I guess is still her boyfriend, but that's the question. So Todd has moved to Vermont with his family. I'm not happy about it. Uh, We're going to be entering a period of Sweet Valley High novels fairly soon during season three that um, is a dark time as far as I'm concerned. But uh, Todd has moved to Vermont. And I kind of wish that I had read this book earlier because some of the events that uh, unfold between Todd and Elizabeth are pretty interesting, as uh, as we'll find out. But basically, Elizabeth and Todd have been talking on the phone, but Elizabeth's not sure where she and Todd stand anymore, and she knows that she needs to see him in person to really find out if the old spark is still there. But they're, they still talk on the phone all the time, and, and they are excited to see each other. 
Oh, I've yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Todd's gonna come home, and he's staying at Ken Matthews' house with his parents. Right, and you I don't know. I don't know that. who Ken Matthews is and why he's staying there, but apparently they're good friends. I guess so. And uh, Elizabeth has decided that she's not going to go with Ken and his dad to pick Todd up because she wants to see Todd for the first time alone, so they can spend some time alone together. But then that never happens. Like no, Todd that, comes that, over, and they keep on. They're going to have some private time, but they never really get it. That already sounds a little bit dicey in terms of relationship, like you don't want to see your boyfriend because you want to set up the terms under which you do that. Like if you're if you're at the point in a relationship where you're manufacturing the situations in which you have to be together, you're in pro- got problems, you know? Oh, yeah. But it does make sense for two 16-year-olds to like have come up with this plan, but they definitely don't carry through with it. No. Um, and that's partly because of another, uh, the most important wrinkle mm. in this plot line, which is that um, Suzanne Devlin is uh, at the Wakefield's house. So this, this twins find out about this, and of course they are livid, um, because when Suzanne was last in town, she gaslit everyone into thinking that Mr. Collins had like sexually assaulted her, if not worse. Uh-huh. And also she stole Elizabeth's necklace and lied to the whole town about being a nice person and then was found out and, like, shipped back to New York. It was not funny. <laughs> it was not, like, a little something. No, and and she, and she had... The means that she had done this was by offering to babysit uh, in, in, in Elizabeth's stay, uh, place for their six... Mr. Collins' six-year-old, six-year-old son. six-year-old son, Teddy. And uh, so... Elizabeth felt betrayed as well in this whole thing, implicated. Well, and yeah, for Elizabeth, it was a very personal thing because she was really, really um, thought that Suzanne was her friend and Mr. Collins is like her closest mentor. So, you know, the whole situation was she was just totally bamboozled. It was really like scarring. (laughs) So something that's kind of interesting about this book is we always, always talk about how there's no trauma in Sweet Valley. And here's a book where all of the old shit gets brought up. And it's like, really, it's painful for people. That never happens. (laughs) It's, it's painful. And it's mm, intruding on on their expectations for Christmas in a way that that annoys them tremendously, but they still push on doing every single activity. It's kind of wild. Yeah. So the really, really weird thing here is that um, the Wakefields don't really, like, they clearly have information about Suzanne that they are unwilling to disclose to their children. So the kids, like, demand, like, they make, Stephen is home from college. Jess, Elizabeth, Wake, uh, sorry. Jess, Elizabeth, and Stephen, like, have a little powwow. They decide their tactic is going to be to um, really reason with their parents. Like, this is why it's not just us speaking from emotion. This is a terrible idea. And the, they take, they go out for pizza, and the Wakefields are just like, her parents are going away to Switzerland or France or something. St. Moritz. So, yeah, St. So, Moritz. And... Uh, she wanted to come here. She's so apologetic. She really wants to prove it to everyone that she apologizes and that she's changed. And they insist that it's it's all going to be cool. Here's the passage uh, from early on in the book. 
Mrs. Wakefield says. For whatever reason, she wants to come out here, and your father and I are asking you to give her another chance, for our sake as well as hers. Elizabeth blinked. Give Suzanne another chance? If it were anyone else, maybe, but not Suzanne. If they gave Suzanne another chance, she'd probably destroy the world. Yeah, it's, uh, the part that strikes me odd, considering what Suzanne did, is that the parents say, I have the part for our sakes, like, really? That would must that must strike you really strange as the, the, the children thinking, oh, this, your parents want you to to take back this person that made a mess of everything for their sake, you know. Huh? Well, and then the weirdest thing happens. We get a chapter that starts from Mrs. Wakefield's perspective. So this never happens. This never happens. <laughs> so we get an adult's perspective. Mrs. Wakefield, no other teenagers are with her, none of her kids. She's driving to the airport to pick up Suzanne. And we as the readers get this moment of dramatic irony where we learn that there is something seriously wrong with Suzanne. Right. And, and, but we don't know exactly what... Uh, we don't know what. And then when Suzanne comes home, she she definitely seems really nice. Um, Liz, Jessica, and Stephen have decided that they're going to be really rude to her because she doesn't deserve any better. But Stephen first and then Liz, to a certain extent, kind of cave on this because they get the sense that Suzanne really is apologetic. She's taken the time to to have a talk with them. It takes Elizabeth a while, but Stephen, it doesn't take him too long. He's never met her before, so he has the least held against her. Um, Jessica's never met her before either, but Jessica is not a particularly trusting person. (laughs) When it comes, she, I mean, takes one to know one, right? She knows the conniving bitch when she sees one, right? Oh, yeah. Or she thinks she does. Yeah. So, we learn that something is very seriously wrong with Suzanne, and I, something medical, it seems. What do you think about this, just from a, like a storytelling perspective, Dad? Like, what do you think about us learning this information rather than it being withheld? From a storytelling thing, I, I thought it it had pro- had promise and to work along a ways, um, and then it kind of blows up when the in the reveal. But we'll get to that. Yeah. So one of the things that happens throughout this book is that Suzanne is seen taking. Um, a lot of pills, or like people think she's taking pills, and she seems weird. She seems woozy. She sleeps a lot. And um, when Todd first appears at the Wakefield's house, and Suzanne and Todd see each other, Suzanne drops a crystal vase of flowers on the ground, and it shatters everywhere. Right. And that's super weird. And sh- and and she says that something about how the medicine she takes makes it hard for her to hold on to things or something. Right, yeah. So it's all a little a little bit weird, but I think that maybe if we hadn't been told that she, there was or we hadn't it hadn't been hinted at that there was something wrong with her, we might also think that she's on drugs. Yes, let's say the medicine she takes makes it hard for the readers to hold on to her. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but because we know there's something wrong with her, that definitely builds the tension for us seeing, especially Jessica, work harder and harder to come up with these schemes to um, kind of prove to everyone once again that she's bad. Because Jessica works really hard to prove to everyone that Suzanne is bad. And she has a good reason for doing so. Right. 
uh, and Jessica has a, a boundless ability to reimagine the scenario she's 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 invested in to accommodate all these facts that don't really fit in it with very well, and no ability at all to stand back. Is that Jessica's oh, mo? It is Jessica's mo, but I would say you know the more things change, the more things stay the same. Is there a book in this entire series that the plot doesn't hinge around? not talking to someone and actually asking them what's going on. This whole story, like, there's so much miscommunication and assumption yeah. that goes on, and it really drives a um, lot of bad shit. Yeah, this this is a comedy of errors with not quite as much comedy as one might expect. Oh, yeah, the errors are pretty sad. Uh, yeah. So in order to understand... So, so Jessica initially just doesn't really trust Suzanne because of everything she's done. She has no reason to. Like, mm-hmm. Suzanne is bad. Like, I agree with them. Suzanne did a really bad thing. Why should she just change? But she seems nice, and she seems genuinely um, remorseful, right? Um, but Jessica kind of gets some of the other people in town, Winston and Aaron, Dallas, uh-huh. uh, not pr- primarily, to do sort of like an anti-secret Santa to Suzanne. Yes. Where they Secret write her Grinch. mean letters. It's bu- it's like bullying and it's really mean, but Suzanne takes it really, really mean hard. letters, empty boxes, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Also, oh, Jessica comes up with a scheme to like hide gross stuff in the corners of her bedroom because Suzanne is sleeping in oh, uh, Jessica's room. But we never really hear about that happening. And short sheeting her. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I only recently heard about short sheeting beds. I didn't... I, I learned about that somewhat recently. <laughs> to explain to the listeners what short sheeting a bed is. Well, you just don't give them all the sheets. So, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why why it would be that... Ex- uh, you know, it's not like you're at a hotel. You're in somebody's house. Like, uh, I'm missing a sheet. So you get, get another sheet. There's so. a moment where, like, after the twins have schemed this, the Jessica and Elizabeth and Stephen are asking, like, so what happened? Did you hear anything about the bed being short sheeted? What happened? And one of the twins is like, oh, I saw her in there making the bed again. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yep, well, that's what you do. That's what you do. You're she didn't even sheet. complain. Yeah. But this is a woman that famously, in her first visit, offered to do the dishes at every turn. So, like, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Even oh, and she- when they and and Jessica tried to get her to do get Suzanne to do the dishes rather than help them decorate the tree, but that got nixed. Oh, yeah, well, and that was, she didn't want to take and hang up an ornament because she was afraid she was going to drop it. Yeah. Okay, so we need to get to the um, piece of this book that I hate the most, which is the part where when, before Todd shows up in Sweet Valley, Elizabeth and Todd are on the phone. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth tells Todd that, or that Suzanne is going to be here for Christmas. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And Todd is like, oh, no. Okay. And then we get this prolonged look into Todd's perspective, which is like, boy, maybe I should have said something to Elizabeth about this. But I ran into Suzanne at a ski lodge with my buddy uh, recently. And they, she apologized, Suzanne apologized to Todd. The buddy was like trying to get with her. Suzanne apologizes to Todd and they go for a walk. And the next morning they come back to the lodge and, and have coffee. And they have some kind of a, what the book describes as like a bit of a moment like Todd has this thought like her face was so close to his and it would have been so easy to lean forward and kiss her nothing happens between them but there's some kind of a romantic spark well yes although it's not totally clear that that it was mutual it was clearly on his part yeah and that's clearly the motivation why he didn't want to do anything but in terms of uh the actual storyline of what happened in this thing or you know 
nothing really happened and you know so it's all his guilt basically about the way he felt that he doesn't want to admit it seems to me he could have totally and in health relations said, hey, I ran into so-and-so, you know. Right. And so it's clearly like he has feelings for her. If he didn't have feelings for Suzanne, that, or like even if they were just like, I don't know, desires for Suzanne when he ran mm-hmm. into her, he, would not, he wouldn't have hesitated to tell Elizabeth about it. Right, because Elizabeth doesn't seem to me the kind of jealous type of character. She seems well, supposed to, well, I mean. It varies. It varies from book to book. Oh, but, okay. But... <laughs> Yeah, but I'm actually pissed at Todd about this. So this girl, she comes to your town and wreaks total havoc. She does all these completely heinous things. You see her a few months later, and she seems nice again, and suddenly you fall in love with her? That's crazy. Uh, It's pretty crazy. Uh, I mean... I guess one can say the hormones are rushing or something because yeah. they are young. Well, that's the but. thing. It's like there's no way, Todd, that you were like, oh, you know what? She's actually a wonderful person. And I, the book doesn't even try to make it seem like that. It seems like he just has a crush on her now because she's beautiful. Well, we've always known she's beautiful. Although the book does repeatedly describe her as even thinner than before when I think the first book described her as having like no fat on her body. Yeah. So it's all gross. It, I'm it, mad. It, well, I think I think you should be mad. I mean, it would, Thanks, pla- it would have been even as a story it would been more plausible if he was attracted to her as some kind of exciting femme fatale. He knew he knew she was bad, but she was beautiful or something. And he, sixteen and like, oh, let's. Wouldn't that be fine to see you? You know, if we can tickle, yeah. you know, tickle the devil or whatever it was. You know? <laughs> no, not, I don't like that. Uh, so creepy. <laughs> so. Um, anyway, so that that kind of get, brings us back to the moment when Todd walks into the house. Suzanne and... T- oh, Elizabeth hasn't told Suzanne that Todd's coming, I don't think. Nobody has. No. So they see each other. Suzanne drops the vase. And then, like, Todd has this private conversation with Suzanne where he's like, just so you know, I never told Elizabeth that we ran into each other. So don't maybe don't say anything because it's going to make me look bad. Jessica overhears that little conversation, part of it only. Right. And so what she hears makes her think that they have a secret that they're not going to tell Liz. Yeah, well, there's. As I read it, I thought she imagined even more that they're having, they're kind of having a a romantic affair of some level. Yes, and just when she thinks Jessica thinks that maybe she's making all of that up, and it's all in her head. she picks up uh, a phone extension and hears that Suzanne is already on the phone with Todd. This is a few days later. And Todd is saying something to her about that night that you that you asked me to come back to the lodge. Yes. <laughs> Which is a very incriminating thing to overhear in Jessica's defense. Right. Very convenient thing to overhear. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't say the words in Jessica's defense very often. So yeah, yeah. Uh, she overhears that and she thinks, oh my God, like... They met somewhere and Suzanne asked him back to the lodge. But like what really happened was like, come back in the morning and we can see each other again before you leave. And I can explain, not just that we can see each other, but like I can explain to you how sorry I am about everything that happened. So yeah. it was like, it was chaste. Yeah. Um, but this drives Jessica to do even more scheming. Um, yeah, she's in overdrive most of the book. We hadn't even gotten to the... Her Lila Fowler part of it? <laughs> well, what's the Lila Fowler part of it? Oh, about the, all the stuff with the L. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. So, we got... I can't believe I forgot. Oh, you guys, I read this book, like, over a week ago now. The Lila Fowler part... This is actually great. This is so good. You want to describe it? Uh, 
no, Lila, they're both just super driven to be Miss Christmas time. Miss Christmas time. You get to ride on a float. There's so much going on in Sweet Valley around Christmas. And it's so competitive that Lila Fowler goes off to a $500 day spa to lose weight so she can win the contest. But she also gets Kara, Jessica's friend, to set Jessica up so that she's, so that she's... Kara calls Jessica and says, I am sick and can't go to volunteer as an elf at the mall. Jessica says, okay, I can I can do it. She thinks it's for some kind of a sorority thing, and it's going to make the sorority look bad if there's not a volunteer. The sorority does this every year. So Jessica agrees to go to the mall to be, help Santa as an elf, which never seemed like a volunteer job to me. I listen to David Sedaris' Santa Land Diaries almost uh-huh. every year. That was a paid job. That's the whole point. But if you haven't listened to that, listen to it. It's amazing. Um, These are high school students, right? They are high school and, students. And it's not odd to have sororities in high schools, maybe? Oh, it's super odd. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think. Every guest that reads about it makes that comment. So I, it seemed to me, odd to me. But... It's important for thing for plus plot device for things like this. So Jessica says I can volunteer, but I have to be done in time to go to the Miss Christmas time auditions. You know, it's it's really all they have to answer some questions. I think there's like a swimwear competition. It's it's like a weird like judged by a small panel, some kind of Miss Christmas yeah. time like a miniature beauty pageant. I don't know. It must be kind of like being named the Fair Queen or whatever at this at the state fair. Uh and so she shows up, uh, Kara assures Jessica, it's just a few hours. So she shows up and helps out, and she puts on this absurd costume that she's made herself out of a trash bag. Of a trash bag, a green trash bag, to so she can look like an elf. She fills the trash bag with, like, tissue paper, so the right. pants puff out. The pants puff out. And she then, has curly shoes. And she paints her face green. She paints her face green, which is not really a part of the elfin uh, picture that I have in my head. But. No, and it's also kind of, oh, you, you think, and then you're going to somehow get all this off and get your makeup on to, for the three o'clock <laughs> yeah. meeting to try out yeah, for the Yeah, you really queen. set yourself up for a disaster here. <laughs> but, and sh- and, but she turns out she was set up for a disaster by Lila and Kara. Kara didn't realize. She thought it was just like a prank, which is dumb. Like, nice find Kara. But Lila really was inv- was using Kara as a pawn to ki- to get Jessica stuck at the mall so she couldn't come, even try, try to become Miss Christmas, be Christmas time. to be Miss Christmas time. And she's successful. Jessica, to her credit, will not abandon Santa and the children at the mall. Um, handing out presents is actually what yes, they're doing. Yes, what she does. So I guess that's why it's a volunteer thing. It's not like sitting on Santa's lap. It's like something they're doing for underprivileged children. And she can't... She Which misses... would be a creepy thing for an elf to do. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Oh for, for, oh, for elf to sit on Santa's lap? Oh, no, I didn't mean the elf was going to sit on Santa's lap. I mean the kids were going to sit on oh, Santa's okay. lap. And the elf was just, like, helping. Like in the aforementioned Santa Land Diaries, the elves, like, lead the children to, the, to Santa. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what's happening. But the point is that Jessica's not Miss Christmas Time. And what this means, above all, is that she does not get to ride on the Christmas parade float and wave in Santa's car as, as Miss Christmas Time. On Santa's float, I mean. But... Santa's going to make it up to her how? By letting her ride on his float. As? 
an elf. Ah. So she gets to it. So <laughs> so when Santa finds out what happens, the Sa- the mall Santa, uh, he is like so sad for her that he lets her. He's like, you can be in the parade after after all. You can ride on the on my float with a t- dressed as a trash bag with a green face <laughs> yeah. in your trash bag elf costume with a green hey, face. Hey, just just that is some consolation prize. Yeah. <laughs> Santa really understands sixteen year old girls. So. This just to wrap this up, and then we'll get back to the um, less fun storyline. Uh, Jessica almost immediately comes up with a scheme to get back. At Another Lila. scheme, folks. <laughs> She's going to sneak in to the dressing room where Lila puts on her Miss Christmas time dress right before she gets on the float. I don't know why there's a dressing room, but there is. It's important to the story, and. She's going to steal Lila's dress and make it so the only outfit left behind is the elf costume. Then Lila will have no choice but to ride with Santa as the elf, and Jessica will be Miss Christmas time. Because this plan could not go wrong. <laughs> but it, the thing is, it works. She pulls off her ruse and gets the dress and, and rides in the place of Miss Christmas time. And the craziest thing to me is not only that does Lila put on the elf costume as if she didn't have other clothes to wear. She puts on the green face paint. Yeah. <laughs> Can you the, the paint, the face of shame. <laughs> Can you see her in the locker room? She's looking around. Her dress is nowhere to be seen. And she's like, oh no, I see, all that's left behind for me is a garbage bag and some green face paint. Well, I guess I've got no choice. Uh, you got me again, Jessica. I, 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 I just was gobsmacked on this thing. They said, so here is, the book says, describes Jessica and Lila as dearest friends and arch rivals. Like, holy cow, this is supposedly this big event and you're screwing each other over and somehow you're going to remain friends? Like, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they've gotten over worse before, but I guess maybe they never actually make up. Maybe they're just always enemies. That they hang out together. Yeah, I mean, they ha- have weak memories, but but constantly held grudges. It's kind of <laughs> <laughs> back to Suzanne. Like, let's talk about the worst scheme, the scheme that gets her, which is that after Jessica, your married dad's making a terrible face because oh, it, another Jessica scheme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Jessica's scheming this time after she's overheard this phone call between Todd and and um, Suzanne and assumes that they are having an affair. And also, she is sure that Elizabeth would be heartbroken if she and Todd ever broke up because she asks Elizabeth at one point, "How would you feel if Todd said he wanted to start dating someone else?" And Elizabeth doesn't really respond. And Jessica fills in the blank. She'd be heartbroken. But the thing is, Elizabeth is feeling about Todd right now. Like, I don't know. I don't know what we are to each other. Like, we are we were so close. We're like best friends. But now he's not around. And I don't know if the old spark is there. And then they don't get to spend any time together, really. Right. And they also, they also say that they've never gone through any difficulties as a couple. So... They don't really know how strong their relationship is. Everything is just always smooth sailing. No, I call bullshit on that because yeah. uh, Elizabeth was in a damn coma after Todd crashed his motorcycle. Yeah. So, but whatever book, you can rewrite history if you want. Uh, 
Elizabeth and Todd, like, they can get over, like, car crashes, but they can't get over long-distance relationships. So, well, well, we'll come back to that thought at the end of this book, because they're already rewriting this book at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're backstepping on, backpedaling on everything. So, um, basically, Jessica is so angry with Todd and Suzanne about how they're hurting Elizabeth that she um, ensnares Aaron Dallas <laughs> into her scheming. And, and Aaron Dallas was also badly embarrassed by Suzanne when she was here before. So he is going, basically she comes up with this whole plan. Aaron is going to invite Suzanne to come to a p- Christmas party with him as his date, I guess, which is weird because he has a girlfriend, but right. whatever. To, at his brother's house, and then he's going to give Suzanne an address of, like, an abandoned house. Yep. And she's then he's going to call her and tell her that he he's sorry something came up and he can't pick her up. Meet her there. And so Suzanne is going to show up at this abandoned house while everybody else, else is having fun, and she's going to be really disappointed. Because she finally will think that somebody wants to be friends with her. Which she, she does think, you know, she's... Yeah. That gives her hope that it's not all lost in yeah. Sweet Valley in terms of making amends. But Jessica isn't really even imagining that Suzanne could possibly be feeling sad about being treated badly. Like, she mostly thinks that Suzanne is just trying to steal Aaron Dallas away from his girlfriend. Like, she's just trying to, like, use her witchy powers on all men everywhere. Which is yes. what Suzanne's M.O. in uh, in her book. So. Uh-huh. Whatever. But then um, that plan works. <laughs> I guess I was started that sentence and I wasn't sure where I was going with it. But uh, yeah, that they're all going to go to Bruce Patman's Christmas party. I know. This, this is a high school. It's easy to come up with accomplices and schemes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, the night that... Oh, okay. So here's what's important to know. Suzanne has been taken to a pharmacy to pick up a vial of a new prescription that her doctor prescribed to her. Right. And she opens the package with the prescription and there's no um, instructions. Right. So she tries to call the doctor's office, but it's closed. It's three hours later there. So she's like, shrugs her shoulders and is like, I guess I'll just treat it like all my other pills and just take one. Right. Because Suzanne from New York. Yeah. Yeah. So, Suzanne goes downstairs, and the Wakefields are popping a bottle of champagne, and (laughs) there's this crazy moment, I thought it was crazy, where Suzanne thinks to herself, like, well, the doctor never said I couldn't drink alcohol at all, he just said I should limit myself to one or two glasses of wine. Yeah, so here's somebody, 16 something, the doctor saying... Yeah, I have a few. It's okay with me. <laughs> I mean, I know she's from New York and her, like, society friends do drink a lot. But just the thought of the doctor being like, now, Suzanne, when you take this pill, yeah. limit yourself to one or two glasses of wine now, a day. I, I, where do you find these doctors that say what you need is a few more drinks? Yeah. Maybe not so much when you come of age, but right now it's good. <laughs> we also know that Suzanne is not a competent driver because she never has to drive in New York. Right. Which is believable. So the Wakefields are popping champagne. I'm drinking it. And she drinks the glass. Then she gets the call from Aaron Dallas saying, 
I can't pick you up. Please, you know, please meet me. And she hesitates, but she's like, okay, you know, it'll be fun. Maybe Christmas won't be so bad after all. Supposedly, he, the part of the pl- uh, plan is that his car has had a flat. Oh, yeah, he had a flat tire. So she goes and drives away, and then the doctor calls, right? Her doctor returns the message that she left for him. Just logistically, it's a little bit strange that they're going to give her a car to drive when the other part of the book is they have only two cars, it seems to me, and everybody has to get to all these parties, but oh well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the Wayfield parents answers the phone and is like, yes, yes, oh, oh no. And then they come back and they're like, "Where's, where's Suzanne? And it turns out that the doctor has called to say it is very important that Suzanne not mix this pill with alcohol. Because if she does, well, I'll tell you what if she does. Um, so Mr. Wakefield desperately is asking where she is and that she's going to go to Aaron's party and, and um, probably drink at Aaron's party. And so Mr. Wakefield is like, oh, we've got to go get her at Aaron's right now. And Jessica starts freaking out and then says, Daddy, Jessica moaned, tears filling her eyes. Susie didn't go to Aaron's. It was all a lie. What are you talking about? Mr. Wakefield shouted. Jessica, what in God's name is happening here? Suzanne's life may be at stake. Jessica burst into tears. She's driving out to the haunted house on Forest Lane, she sobbed. Aaron and I tricked her. She thinks she's driving out there to meet him, but there won't be anyone there. (laughs) Jessica, how could you do such a thing, Mr. Wakefield demanded. Never mind, he added shortly. We've got to find her. With a combination of medication and alcohol in that girl's body, she'll be lucky if she makes it there alive. Let's just say that as this part of the story was written, it struck me as kind of wooden because they were underlining everything that yeah. could happen, you know? It's a little alarmist. But yeah. turns out, uh, like, she skidded her car off the road on the way to Aaron, so that that's... Or she, on the way to the haunted house. She flipped the car, but the car wasn't severely damaged. Yeah, she flips the car. Don't worry, everybody. The Fiat's fine. <laughs> and there was... But there are some... She starts swerving on the road, and some cops are following her. Yes. So, so... But when the Wakefields find the Fiat, all they find is a flipped-over Fiat and no Suzanne. So they're like... They don't know if she's alive or dead. They call her parents and Samarites. They... And they can't leave a voice message first. They can't get her parents. and they Oh, yeah. I had a flashback to that horrible moment I've actually talked to before on the show um, about when I had to leave a voice message for you about having been in a car accident. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, my God, my dad's going to come home to this. But, like, I was fine. I just wasn't... I was too young to refuse on my own to be taken to the hospital. So, anyway... That was scary. And they, the parents fly back from San Marites and uh, Suzanne is in the hospital and nobody can see her. And the, her doctor is going to come fly out from New York. And this is where we learn uh, what is truly wrong with Suzanne. Are you ready? Oh, well, this is, yeah, I guess. You want, would you a- like to read it? Oh, sure. (laughs) Daddy, Jessica said in a small voice. What's wrong with Suzanne? Is she very sick? Mr. Wakefield was quiet for a minute. Yes, Jessica, he said reluctantly. I'm afraid she's a very sick young lady. She has a disease called multiple sclerosis, or MS as it's sometimes called, which attacks the central nervous system. 
What will happen to her, Elizabeth asked, her mouth dry. Isn't there a cure? Mr. Wakefield shook his head. No, not yet, but they're working on it. As far as what will happen, it's hard to say. Every case is different. Some people have the disease in a very mild form. Suzanne may go into remission and remain in remission for months, even years, or... Go on, Jessica whispered. Or she may continue to suffer from attacks of dizziness and loss of vision. She may be less and less able to control her muscle spasm. It's possible she could be confined eventually to a wheelchair. (sighs) So, Suzanne has MS, and... Well. Well, so that's upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) And we find this out. On page, you know, 200 of the book, 202, the book is, you know, 220 pages long. And at about page 226, we find out that the doctor was wrong. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, let's just say, you know, the symptoms are described here are symptoms you can have with MS, but... Uh, when I was reading the book, I said almost every person I've ever known who got such a diagnosis was in their late 20s or through their 40s. I, I don't know what the range is, but it's, she's very young for this type of diagnosis. And so I want to say say that bit. But what she really has, do you want to do the reveal? No, you're going to have to do it because I don't She remember. has mono. She has mononucleosis, the kissing disease. Yes, folks. Her stupid, stupid, stupid doctor, who this rich family pays big bucks, can't make a distinction between mononucleosis, a common viral disease, and multiple sclerosis. Very odd for somebody her age. My goodness. They do rhyme, though. The diseases rhyme. Well, and and there is some statistical evidence. I actually looked up on Wikipedia that that the virus that causes... uh, mono it may increase one's chances of giving MS, but nobody. It, MS is very difficult to, to to diagnose. And the book tries to kind of say, like, the symptoms that you had, your form was this rare sort of dormant form of it, and, and kind of, like, explain how this mistake could happen. But basically, Suzanne's prolonged symptoms and this whole, like, personal reevaluation that she's gone through with her parents, like, changing their relationship in the face of this terrible disease, um, they all, the symptoms are primarily a result of the medication she's been taking. Yeah. Which is tons of medication. So this, you know, I mean, it explains why she's so sleepy, I guess. But that could also be the medicine. Yeah, I mean, so she's just an overdrugged girl with mono. I mean, and uh, this is, well. So, I don't know. I mean, that's basically the end of the story, except that when they find out that Suzanne has has MS, or and when they find out that she was in this car accident, Todd is in the car because they're all going to the Christmas party together. And everybody looks at Todd's face and they know that, like, the only... Jessica thinks the only other time I've seen Todd look this frightened was when Elizabeth was in that terrible car accident and they didn't know if she'd live or die. And that shows Jessica that Todd truly has feelings for Suzanne. And Todd also is really upset and like like a little bit um 
uh, shocked, clearly mm-hmm. like in shock about the MS diagnosis. And everybody can tell that Todd must really have really be in love with Suzanne to care so much or to be affected so much by this, which is also a little weird. But Elizabeth and Todd like have a talk about it. And Elizabeth is very much like, okay, you know, uh, all right. That's great. I don't really like you anymore. So, I mean, that's not what they say. (laughs) They say they're going to be best friends forever and nothing will ever change that. But they basically have, like, the most, like, placid, like, mutual breakup of any couple in history. And then they dance and Elizabeth's like... I'm so happy at this Christmas party. I'm dancing with my best friend and and it's Christmas and it's oh. there's music. Oh, and there's and then the girls get together and say <coughs> after spite everything that happened, this was one of the best Christmases ever. Well, like- allow me to read on page 223. <laughs> Elizabeth smiled at her twin. "Merry Christmas, Jess," she whispered. Jessica engulfed her twin in a bear hug. "Merry Christmas, Liz," she sang out. You know, Elizabeth said, linking arms with her sister as they looked around to see whom they could ask for a ride home. It had some strange parts, but this Christmas hasn't really been that bad so far. (laughs) No, Jessica agreed, trying not to meet Winston's eye as he hurried toward them, car keys jangling in his hand. It hasn't been bad at all. (laughs) They haven't been been watching the same thing we've been watching is all I've got to say. Yeah, so that's a special Christmas. Um, I... It's, uh, uh, let me find real quick here. I had a um, Valley of the Barbie Dolls on Instagram sent me a message that I can't find right now, so I'm going to paraphrase. That basically just said, this book just proves how what terrible parents the Wakefields are. (laughs) Like, should these people be allowed to have children? Because they maintain, even when the kids press them, like, Daddy, is something wrong with Suzanne? Like, is that why she's always taking those pills? Or, like, like, should... Basically, they give her an opportunity to, like, spare Suzanne further torment and really turn the tides in Suzanne's favor. And the parents are like, we are not going to betray Suzanne's trust by, by explaining to you what's going on with her. So they refuse to tell their children what's wrong with Suzanne. It's not in Suzanne's interest for them to keep this secret. I really don't think so. What do you think? Well, I mean, if you've made that kind of promise, I guess you're you're you feel self in the bind. I mean, for me, the odder thing is that they agreed to have to make her the, come. Yeah. Uh, I mean, given all the history and that she hit, seemed duplicitous and sweet the first time, like you're setting everybody up. That seemed a strange thing to start with. To, to make the promise on top of it was even more bizarre. Yeah, and the reasoning was like, well, she wanted to be able to prove to you that she had changed and without, and like, have your forgiveness without your pity or something like that. Like, she didn't want their pity. Well, I can understand someone not wanting the pity, but... Yeah, me too. I, what about Suzanne's parents? That seems a strange thing for me to do. Is If somebody has... an a, a unclarified disease. diagnosis that you're trying to treat, and she's 
What does she? What do they think their daughter's going to do out there after she's done all this damage? Is she trying to restore her reputation or make people like her? What's the point well, of it all? Like, who cares? Too. Yeah. Like, why does Suzanne even care other than just like feeling bad about it? If the, all of the town of Sweet Valley forgives her, she lives on the opposite side of the entire United States. Yeah. Like, she never has to see any of these people again. Uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of odd. I mean, I can see. Perhaps somebody who was much, much older looking back on the whole course of their life saying, you know, I'd like to make amends and stuff, but that she could go through that so quickly and say, that's what I want to do. That seemed kind of far-fetched to me. So So, Todd, at the end of the book, is left like he's going to tell Suzanne how he feels, and the twins walk into the room, and the... I don't know, the swim team has all shown up to sing serenades and like the whole high school has shown up in Suzanne's room. Todd and Suzanne are like holding hands and then they unhold yes. hands. And did you, in case you missed it all, she has mono. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> the kissing disease. <laughs> yeah. So careful with that, Todd. Also, Todd and Suzanne, if they go f- into this relationship further, they also are going to be in a long distance relationship because Vermont and New York are not the same place. No, not at all. <laughs> they're closer than than Vermont and Sweet Valley, but they're not the same place. So Todd's just getting himself into further trouble here. So... So, but you know what? It's okay because it's the best Christmas ever. <laughs> oh, it's special. Well, they they did throw a, enough into this bag of Christmas gifts that uh, we paid attention. So that's good. That's true. That's true. Well, and Dad, you gave me a tremendous Christmas gift by taking hours out of your life to read this book and record the podcast so thank you <laughs> among the many gifts you give me this is a, this was a real sacrifice I, I have to say it's the only book i've ever read where a teenage girl puts on a trash bag to look like an elf <laughs> i would have to say the same yeah although i'm not so sure i wouldn't Buy an, uh, an issue of Cosmo that had that how to do that. That would be interesting. <laughs> um, so, you know, Merry Christmas to everyone. I, it is currently the fourth day of Christmas as we record this. It'll probably be the fifth or the sixth as uh, it's released. And who knows when you're listening to this? But um, happy holidays, happy New Year. Uh, the show will be back at, um, in the winter of 2019. With more episodes, and my dad has something to say. May all your Christmases or holidays not look like this. <laughs> yeah, I hope your very best, happiest Christmas doesn't involve car crashes and flips and mono and and MS and you're breaking up with your boyfriend of uh, your very serious boyfriend. Oh my God, I don't even. I wish we. I wish there were a way to have left that plot line out of this episode, but there really wasn't. <laughs> And, um, you know, your parents lying to you and also you not getting to be Miss Christmas time and uh, having to put on green face paint and tricking your best friend into doing the same or your second best friend and all of the other things that made this Christmas time so great for the Wakefield. So special. So special. (laughs) It was definitely special. So happy holidays. Uh, even on hiatus, you can still send me an email, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. You can follow me on Instagram at sweetvalleydiaries or on Twitter at sweetvalley. 
Um, and take this time during hiatus to write me a review on iTunes. Um, give me five stars as a rating would be also cool. I it will never not seem weird to say that, but five star ratings are helpful. Four star ratings that say the show is amazing are less helpful. Uh, I have one of those. <laughs> was that you, Dad? It was not me. Okay. I have not, I have not engaged in this. Oh, well, help me out, Dad. Oh, okay. It's much easier than reading an entire book and recording <laughs> a podcast. Um, and without further ado, uh, we will sign off and uh, look forward to book number 21, Runaway, uh, coming at you um, sometime in the new year. Bye. Bye. Special.